0: Holy Spirit, please be seated. Hi, friends over at the chapel. <laughs> Boy, plenty of choir today. Yeah, choir breaking up all over. Welcome back, choir. It's so busy through you this morning. Thank you for the gift that you bring. And thank you for the gift that you bring each time that you gather. Um, how, how are your spiritual lives going? Is that the kind of thing you ask, right? You know? See your friends in the morning. Hi, Lois Ann. How's your spiritual life going? <laughs> Wonderful. Wonderful. Yeah, ask at the grocery store. They'll go, oh, my what do, who? But isn't that what we're about, right? As, as people who are on this journey home to become that true image of God that we're meant to be as followers of Christ, that it's a daily, a daily practice of reflection of checking in, where are we? Has anything changed in your life since last Sunday? Have you made any spiritual progress? You come each Sunday and you leave, and not much changes. Maybe slowly over time, but are you even aware of that? Self-reflection is necessary for our growth necessary for our breath. Paul in Colossians, right, is, is, is trying to get these people to think about the greater things, the things of God. Seek the things that are above. Seek the things that are above. Put aside the things that shouldn't be part of your life anymore. Fornication, malice, bad thoughts, harsh language, anger, all those things, you should be getting rid of those. How are you doing with that? How are you doing? See, thankfully we have scripture and times to gather where where we're given a chance to remember this and to reflect upon it and to think about, okay, I, I need to be more introspective, I need to be more reflective on my life, I need to think about the progress I've made and give thanks for that, and to think about the progress I need to make. And to ask for God's grace to do that in the support of my friends. To hold me accountable. Right? To hold me accountable. Ask me, how are you doing with that? Can I pray with you to help me support that? Can I, can I share some wisdom? Because I've had that similar, that similar struggle. Right? We're meant to do this as a community. We're not supposed to be soulless. We're not meant to be soulless. So how are you doing? How are you doing? Wonderful, good, good, Lois Ann. Right? At least there's one, <laughs> and the one will lead the way. Thank you, Lois Ann. Okay. Yeah, and, and the readings, the readings for today. Um, I think when we get these these parables of Jesus, where he tells us about some man, we're, we're meant to think about that. What does that What does that strike in me? Okay, what am I hearing in that? Um, and you go, well, maybe I'm not this person who you know had this abundant. Kind of crop because I'm not a farmer, but but what else, right? How else do I connect to that? Um, what, maybe it's not greed. Maybe it's something else that that I'm struggling with. It's made. It's, it's meant to make us think. Okay, it's meant to make us think. Perhaps you've heard something like this story before. We're traveling with Jesus to Jerusalem, and he's traveling along, and somebody yells out something to him. And you might remember the, the answer here is somewhat similar to, to how he responded to another situation of conflict between people who should be in Christ-like relationship with each other. God is a God of reconciliation, a God of relationship. As he's traveling along, a couple of weeks ago we heard the story about Mary and Martha, Bethany. Right, he's traveling along and, and, he, and he stops at their home. And you know the story, right? You've heard it so many times, right? There are these two sisters, Mary and Martha, Bethany, and and Jesus is there, and and, uh, he's he's doing some teaching, and and somebody comes flying out of the kitchen, uh, complaining, (laughs) I have got a gripe, right? What's going on? Mary, right? Mary, the sister, is with Jesus, where the guys are hanging around with Jesus and Martha comes out and you know there's always a story behind the story, right? It wasn't suddenly that Martha blew up. She's probably had it for a long time with her kid sister. Always had her head in the clouds. She's always like talking about Jesus and hanging out with Jesus and, and it's never helpful because she's always doing that. But there are things that have to be done and Martha is right, didn't she? I am right about this, aren't I, Jesus? (laughs) She comes to Jesus and says, you know my little sister, you know what she's like, she's doing it again, tell her that I'm right. You ever do that? (laughs) Talk to Jesus and say, Jesus, you're on my side, right? Take my side. And tell those people they're wrong. Take my side. And Martha comes, and that's that's pretty much what she's doing. She's saying, Jesus, you know, my sister is not doing the right thing. Tell her she's wrong, and, and tell her that I'm right in this. And make her do the right thing. And there's a story behind the story. Because these are two sisters that are not loving each other as Christ loved us and gave himself for us. They're not being the people they should be. And so he doesn't say anything about, well, Martha, yeah, you're right. Mary, get up and go do some work doesn't do that. Because he knows what they need more than anything else is reconciliation. They need reconciliation. They need to give up the claim to be right. Yeah, I mean, there is a truth in it that Jesus will stand by you and claim that you are right. When we stand in judgment, Jesus will be there with us as our defense attorney and will say, this person is right because they're all right with me. Right? That will happen. In this life, though, Jesus is not a divider. And in the next life, he's not either because he makes things right between our Father and us. He's in reconciliation, the reconciliation ministry. And if you look at your prayer book and you go, well, what is the ministry of the church? It says very clearly in our prayer book, the ministry of the church is reconciliation. It's what Jesus is about. It's what God sought through Jesus. It's what we are about, Reconciliation. So keep that in mind, because now we have this other person who has problems with a sibling. Have you heard this before? <laughs> it's not two women in the household, but it's some guy running down the road, thinking he's going to get some free, month, some, some free legal advice. Oh, hey, teacher, hey, scribe, hey, expert in the law. I got this bum brother. He's the elder brother, and he's holding on to the inheritance— Dad's died, he is the one who is in control, and he's supposed to give me my share. You're on my side, right, Jesus? In this dispute with another person, you agree with me, don't you? Do we ever do that? Look at things happening in the world around us and the things that people are doing and things we disagree with, and we go, oh my gosh, they're not on God's side, but I am. (laughs) And we want God to tell them they're wrong change their hearts? Not that that's a, a, an unholy thing to do, but, but maybe think about, well, what if instead we said, hey, hey Jesus, why don't you, instead of like saying one of us is right and one is wrong, why don't you give us the grace and the resources we need to reconcile our differences? To reconcile, bring us together and help us be kind to each other and hear each other and, and, and you give us the truth that we might no longer be adversaries. Because, you know, if Jesus said to that, to that one guy who was, who was saying, you know, tell my brother to give me my inheritance, and Jesus went up to him and said, yeah, give him his inheritance. You think that's going to solve their dispute? That will forever break their relationship. And he knows it. And he's about reconciliation. He wants to heal the wounds, not rub salt into it. Not take a division and make it wider and impassable but he wants to bring us together, he wants to heal us. He wants to heal us. And so he tells this story, right? He doesn't respond, but he tells this story because I think he wants that person to reflect on themselves and reflect on what's important. He wants them to engage in some introspection, so stop for a moment, before this goes any farther, stop for a moment and, and think, reflect on yourself. And where are you in this, and what do you really want? What do you really want? So he tells this story about a man whose land produces an abundant crop. Now, Luke is very careful in saying this. He didn't say that that guy, by the sweat of his brow and by his brilliance, produced an abundant crop that made him flush with resources. He didn't say that at all. He said simply the land, which tells us who's responsible. God is, okay? This is God's doing. God has done all this. And when God blesses us, what should be the response of that? Gratitude. Gratitude? And maybe share some love, right? Share some love in in response to that, right? Show your gratitude by sharing that blessing with others. But check out what this guy does. He has this conversation. Not like you would expect in that culture that he would gather family and close friends and, and others in the community around to kind of think about, hey, I've been blessed with this abundance from God. What needs do the community has? How might we bless people with this? He doesn't consult anyone except himself. Actually, he consults the unholy trinity of me, myself, and I. Me, myself, and I. This is what I will do. And I will say to myself, So, take your your rest now. Because me, myself, and I, we're doing real good here. Luke doesn't tell us that the person was a bad person. There's no indication of malice shown by this person. What Luke is telling us is that something has happened to this person where he is cut off from all relations. He doesn't think about family. He doesn't say anything about checking on the welfare of his friends. He doesn't talk about the needs of the community that supported him. He doesn't even think about the workers who will build those new barns. And lastly, there's no thought in his mind about saying thank you to God. He is completely isolated. And I pity him. We should feel bad for people that are in that place because they don't even know the God who blesses them. It's terrible. See, there's a warning in this, right? And and, and for this, the example is, you know, the the downfall of of having too much, the the downfall (laughs) that that leads to greed, right? And what greed can do us, us, it it can separate us from other people. But Paul talks about other things, you know, fornication and and avarice and and there's greed, which is idolatry, but but also, you know, anger and wrath and, and, oh, telling lies. Boy, that's not a problem, is it? Uh, yeah, right, we're, we're really dealing with that one. Telling lies. Yeah, don't tell lies. <laughs> He's encouraging us, right? That's not what you're supposed to be. That's, that's and, but, but perhaps you go, okay, I'm not, I'm not like, I'm not like the rich person, I'm very generous. And then you go, oh, well, wait a second. Um, are you starting now to fall into pride? Right? Is, that, is that the sin that you fall into? Right, it's tricky, it's real tricky. And all of us, because it is so tricky, And it's so easy to fall into all these various sins, all these shortcomings. Sometimes we can be blind to them like the rich man was blind. We need to stop and think. We need to reflect. We need to ask for the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to see with God's eyes the corrections we need to make. We need to do that. in the um, years leading up, the several decades leading up to the Civil War. A man named James Hammond, um, a, a very wealthy man, um, he became a U.S. Representative, representative of U.S. Congress from the great state of South Carolina. <laughs> <laughs> and he served in Congress for, for years and then he came back to the beloved Low country and became the governor of South Carolina. He was a graduate of the University of South Carolina, so you know he's a quality person. <laughs> 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 Thank you, Robert, for knowing the truth. <laughs> yeah, he was, he was a, a congressional representative. He went, he went to Washington to serve in Congress. He was a, um, a governor of the state, and after he was governor, elected to the U.S. Senate. (laughs) Pretty impressive. He owned a huge tract of land. covered some 22 miles in length. He was a plantation owner. And he had hundreds of slaves. Hundreds. Here was a man who was incredibly wealthy, incredibly powerful, and very well-known and influential. We can agree on that? Okay? And you think that a married man with all that might find some place where he said, I am satisfied. (coughs) And I'm compassionate and giving and concerned about the welfare of everyone. Because I have the freedom to do that and the power to affect people's lives in positive ways. In 1839, Mr. Hammond bought a slave named Sally. Sally was 18 years old. Along with Sally, the 18-year-old, he bought Sally's child, a little girl. Mr. Hammond turned Sally into a concubine, and he fathered a large number of children with her, a slave now, I just imagine that there wasn't anything about, do you mind us doing this? Any concern for consent or, or anything like that, he was just practicing his lust upon someone who had no ability to say that. No. When Louisa, the child, turned 12, Mr. Hammond made her also a concubine, and he had a number of children through her gets worse. Not only did he do that, he apparently sexually abused three, four of his nieces. Four of his nieces. Children of one of his sisters he abused. One of his brothers-in-law was in another prominent South Carolina family, the Hampton family. One of the Wade Hamptons, if you know South Carolina history or Southern history, Wade Hampton, one of them. Perhaps a political rival sought to expose Mr. Hammond and all his bad behavior. He said, I will expose you and ruin you unless you resign. Not really a godly thing to do, but you might understand how those things happen. What's what's, what's strange to me, maybe not so strange, but, but, but certainly should be concerning to all of us, is Mr. Hammond's own Lack of reflection on who he was and what he had done. This comes from his diary. This comes from his diary. Um, apparently at some time uh, there, were disease, there was disease going through South Carolina and it heavily affected his property, his, his crops, his, his farm animals, and his slaves. And this is what he writes about this terrible situation that he found himself in. It crushes me to the earth to see everything of mine so blasted around me. This is language of the time. Negroes, cattle, mules, hogs, everything that has life around me seems to labor under some fated malediction. Great God, what have I done?
1: Never was a man
0: so cursed. What have I done or omitted to do to deserve this fate? Are you kidding? (laughs) No one, not one, exercises the slight indulgence to me. Nothing is overlooked, nothing forgiven. Or Mr. Hammond was the victim. See, see, we're we're supposed to be reflective people. We're supposed to be people who think about the progress we make. We're supposed to be the people who look for things that are above. And we're supposed to know the heart of God. And we're supposed to not point the finger at others, but think about ourselves. Where am I in this? What am I struggling with? What help do I need from God? Not to divide me further from someone and want God to claim that I'm right and they're wrong and change them. I want God to change me and to bring me and them together. Bring us together. You gotta work at this. You really do. You gotta struggle with this. You gotta not let go. You gotta try and try again and get up each day and do it once again. You gotta do it over again. Don't let God go. So to help you remember that, um, there's a story of a, of a pastor <coughs> who had moved from an urban area to a rural area and in the urban area, um, lived in a parsonage like he would in the rural area, but in the urban area, there was no lawn to cut. <laughs> and so when he moved to the rural area he discovered that there's this yard tool that you need. if you're going to live in an urban area, in, a, in a rural area, um, what was he missing? A lawnmower. And thought, oh, I need a lawnmower now. And, and well, you know, I want to show the, the parish that I'm a frugal pastor. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to find a, a decent used mower. And so look, you know, and found this. There was a, 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 a young person who, you know, had a lawnmowing business. Had used this mower for years. And it was a reliable mower. And, but, you know, it saved up enough money. And moving up in the world had to get a nicer one. So the pastor went and talked to this young person and, and looked at the mower, looked it over, yep, yeah, it's fine, blade was fine, everything was fine, and, and took the mower home. And then he got outside that day in the afternoon, going to crank that thing up and mow the yard. Right? What sound does it make? Right? You've had that experience before? Just won't start, will it? Got to kick the tire. Got an expert here. <laughs> Probably did kick the tire. Didn't start. So took it back. Right? Took it back to the to, to that young that young person that boy and said, um, I, I, "This mower doesn't work. Um, I, I need my money back." And, and, and the, the kid said, "Yeah, yeah, it does. Yeah, you got you got a pull. Got a pull the cord." You've done that. Well, you need to curse it. Uh, <laughs> you need to curse it. He goes, um, you need to curse it again. Yeah, you would curse that while you're pulling that cord. And, and he goes, um, son, I haven't, I haven't cursed in 40 years. He goes, don't worry, it'll come back to you. <laughs> it'll come back. You might not know right now what it is that you need to work on. You might not. But hopefully you'll start thinking about it. Keep pulling that chord. you come back to